You're listening to Fresh Out of Game. Can I be so fresh? Fresh, fresh Podcast Network. Straight from Tel Aviv, Israel. Let's go. Hi, my name is Hilal Leizorovich. And I'm Rona Vaughn. We are two entrepreneurs from Israel, and we are on a journey to find out what makes entrepreneurs, investors, and CEOs succeed or fail. And we hope to inspire your journey. So hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of TLV DNA. And today with us is Iris Barhava. The VP people of Explor- Explorium. Yes. Got it right? You got it perfect. Good to have you, first of all. Good Thanks to for be coming. Here. And we always start when you tell us in a nutshell what Explorium is doing, what you're all about. All right? So let's start from there. And then, you know, from the higher levels, we go deep dive into high resolution of details of how you do it. Well, we offer um, the industry's first automated um, external data platform um, for advanced um, analytics and machine learning. We have like a unique all-in-one platform that gives our customers, these are like Fortune 500 companies, um, access to all the relevant external data resources they need for decision-making, whether they want to make... Um, Um, big decision makings in their own um, business offers or smaller ones where should I put salespeople etc all right let let's take a, a real-life example how you help a customer someone who sells soft drinks and because of covid um, the people that were selling their soft drinks um, has not had uh, a lot of um, visitors because things were closed and Now they want to start resending salespeople to those people se- selling their product in order to enhance sales. Mm-hmm. They need to see who has more potential for selling their product. Now things have really changed. So what they did in the past is not relevant anymore because of COVID. Mm-hmm. What we help them do is find external sources, data sources that will tell them, That this street, for example, will have more foot coverage or will have more traffic because of things that have changed recently. And this is where they should put more salespeople um, because more people will come in and buy their product. Now, they don't have this data. They have a lot of data scientists, but they don't know to figure this out because the data they have is either relevant to the history or... Mm-hmm. Or relevant to questions that they asked in the past and have now changed. The questions have actually um, changed because of the world that constantly changes. So we bring in external data sources, we put them together with their um, internal ones, and we help them um, um, answer these questions in a much um, more efficient way. Sounds great. Where is this data coming from? From data providers that we purchase from mm-hmm. and um, again we collaborated with their own data and we help them together um, ask different questions and also find different answers to those questions and it's always external data or sometimes the company has data and you yeah, can go so we, in we, and sort it and try to find it's more. a good question we do we do the combination 
So we use their own data, but we also use our own data. And the combination is we also help them find signals that will um, improve um, the outcome, the output. <laughs> Great. Um, when did you join Explorium? <laughs> it's an easy question to answer, but actually um, I am in my history, I'm an organizational consultant. I help founders grow their company. And so one of the founders of Explorium reached out to me when he um, contacted another founder and said, you know, we're thinking of starting a startup. Why don't we all meet and, you know, we'd like to hear your opinion. So... So they reached out for a consultant. Before they even had Explorium, before yeah. there was Explorium, before the, before the name existed. And they started coming into my office, three founders, mm -hmm. and talking about things like, what do we want the company to look like? Um, what's, what's unique about it? What difficulties do we have between among ourselves? And, you know, a lot of questions that was very impressive to me because usually people come to me when things are broken, <laughs> you usually go to a consultant when you have problems. You know, like in a marriage, you usually don't go to a marriage council um, when you're getting married. But these three guys were so smart that they said, let's do the consulting before there are problems. Maybe we can avoid some of these issues. And so I started um, working with them together for a long time. And the company grew and, you know, the seed money came in and then round A came in. And when between round A and round B, they said, well, you know, you're a pretty good consultant, but can you actually do the work? <laughs> and I said, you know, I've proved myself already. I've, you know, I've worked in, in startups and I've done my exits and I really don't need to prove anything. And they're like, yeah, are you sure? Maybe you lost it. They were playing with me. Maybe you lost it and you can't do it anymore. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to prove it to you. And I said, I'll join for a few months just to help with the growth. And this was 15 months ago. 15 months ago. Yeah. That's when you joined. But you actually... Joined officially, yeah. Yeah, but you, yeah. you were actually there from the beginning. Yeah. All right. So you, I hear that, you know, there's experience and background... Uh, behind you. So try to elaborate on that a bit so our audience will get to know you better. So like I said, um, I've been consulting, helping founders grow in the last 10 years. And before that, I worked um, in two startups, um, one called Flash Networks, which is still around and kicking, very interesting company. And the other one is called Super Derivatives. Um, I was employee number 12, and um, we really grew super derivatives from 12 to a few hundreds, and at the end, um, the company was sold to ICE, um, the company that runs the New York Stock Exchange, and um, a lot of people were happy <laughs> with this exit. <laughs> so you have a lot of experience. Sounds like you were uh, joining uh, founding teams early stages in the beginning. So you have a lot of experience. Um, today, you're the VP of people. And try to elaborate on that, you know, job title. What does that mean? 
the classic uh, definition is usually the human resource manager or, or chief HR. So what's VP people? So I'll let you in on a little secret that I think everybody knows but not always realizes that at the end of the day, it's all about the people. Whether the company is successful or not, and I've seen, I could say maybe hundreds of companies, it's because of the people there. And you could have an amazing patent idea. You could have um, an amazing market fit. And if it's not the right people, it's not going to happen. Um, and unfortunately, I've seen companies that I said, wow, this is like amazing. This is going to succeed for sure. But then when you go deep dive and you find out um, like problematic relationships, for, for example, you know that it's not going to succeed. So I think people is, touches everything, every aspect of the company, every business-related aspect. Um, and it has to do a lot with the structure, with the culture, um, with the how you talk, what do you say, um, who are the people you bring on board, how do you make sure they're happy, and how do you make sure you keep the right people on board? So how? You know, there's a lot of how. Yeah. <laughs> how do you actually do it right? Yeah. <laughs> let's start with, um, um, you know, let's, let's do something practical and say that a company is like um, a human being. You're, you know, you could be like um, one year old and have certain needs. Then you're three years old and your needs have changed. No parent says, oh, the clothes you wore when you were one years old should fit now that you're three, right? Um, because, you know, they were really nice on you when you were one. And I see a lot of founders say, you know, things that worked when we were one year old should really work now because we're three and, you know, what has changed? And people don't realize that a lot, has, a lot changes between age one and age three at a company. And it's either... The people adapt and they fit to the three-year mark. And again, this is like a random number, but it's not really mm -hmm, random. Mm -hmm. Or you need to change some people, which is obviously a very painful process because these are the people that brought you until now. And what are you going to say to them now? Thank you, but... You're not needed. <laughs> that's a very painful question. On the other hand... If you keep the people that brought you till now, but they don't fit anymore for the three-year-old suit, um, we're not going to be there for four. That's true. And then what did we, you know, how did we um, do good to the world? So people fit stages in the growth, in the age of the company. But you're saying that people is the most important thing. And I want to, you know, take off to somewhere else. Because I agree with what you're saying, but I want to take it in because you were there from the beginning in Explore, in uh, Explorium. So people um, are are the mark or the indication for a market fit as well on the other side when we talk about customers. Um, so you were there during the ideation and uh, the idea market fit and probably later on a product market fit. Um, how did you address that? Were you helping them as well? Because at the end of the day, you know people and people are the same. It doesn't matter if it's internally in your company or outside to know them well enough to approach them. I think one needs to look at their um, 
the human resources they have in the company. And when they're trying to sell to a certain um, market fit, they need to ask themselves, do we actually have the right skill set in order to sell to this market fit? So we could have this great idea and we want to sell it to, let's say I said Fortune 500 companies. But do the people in my company right now, could they actually um, make that happen? Because the product's not going to sell itself. You need someone to go out there and pitch it. Mm -hmm. And you need someone who's professional in pitching to these types of, let's say, C-levels in organizations or you know, the decision makers. Then you need to have the right people who will um, follow up and actually deliver. Have my people in my organization, have they delivered these types of scalable products in the past? So we could be running and saying we could do this, but actually we don't have the skill set in the company. That's very interesting. So you could have like a great idea or an idea that has a market fit, but at the end of the debate, the people driving, right, at the driver's seat would not be able to take the car there. That's very interesting. I see a lot of founders who have this um, capability to do amazing things and they start running because they see it. They see the vision. They know where they are going. They have this insight on how to be done and they're running. And then I say to them, hello, look behind you. You're running all alone. There is no team behind you to help you make this happen. Now, you can run alone and be successful. But just to a certain point, because at the end of the day, you're going to need a team. So if you're just focusing on, I'm going to do this, I'm going to sell this, I can figure this out, I'm smart, you know, I'm brilliant, I have this perfect product, but there isn't a team behind you, you're not going to make it. Got it. So it's, it's, uh, it's a thin line between being a leader to a team mm -hmm. and being a founder, a solo founder going there trying to uh, accomplish his dreams or make dreams come true. Mm -hmm. um, so you were there during the ideation. You mm -hmm. helped them uh, in the head of the consultant, right? You were not part of the team yet, mm -hmm. but still you were there. Uh, you helped them through ideation and then um, they created a product. Mm -hmm. Were you there during this process? Did you have any insight from your point of view? understanding people on the other side? Well, I don't know a lot about, or at that time, I didn't know almost anything about, you know, data and external data sources and machine learning. But I do know that you need to think of the structure, let's say the R&D um, department. Mm -hmm. You need to have a certain structure in order to deliver certain products. And we were constantly thinking about who are the people do we have? How do we structure it around them? But also how do we structure it around the, 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 what we want to achieve? So you're always wearing two hats. You have the goal that you want to achieve and you're saying this is the right structure, but then you have the people. This is not a theoretical <laughs> game we're playing you know, on, on the drawing board. Yeah, they need to fit the structure. Yeah, and then you're <laughs> saying, what's more important? The structure, the way it should be, or the people that I have in hand? And what I see is it really depends on the founder's personality. Some of them are like, you know what? If the people don't fit, we'll just change the people. And some will say, we'll make it work with the people we have. 
So it's either the team will stay dynamic or the structure should stay dynamic. Yes. How do I, I mean, isn't, <laughs> is, isn't it a balance point where you say we will still, you know, be a bit dynamic here and a bit dynamic there? You know, so <laughs> theoretically speaking, ideally, everything finds and collaborates. But in, in real world, you need to make tough decisions. You need to either say, this is not the ideal structure, but I'd rather keep the people, or this is the structure I want, and I'm going to let go of some people. And when you're small, that's very, very painful. That's a very, very difficult decision because some of these people are your friends. Yeah. Think of the people that you start, the, you, know, you start a startup with. Usually, who do you bring? You bring you know, people that you worked for in the past that you know. In Israel, for example, you know people in the army. Yeah. You bring them, you say, listen, come to my startup, forget your job, come work with me. I promise you we're going to conquer the world. And a year later, I'm like, thank you, but we don't need you anymore. Yeah, that's, that's hard. You know, and I know your mother, you know. <laughs> She knows my mother. Uh, <laughs> and we grew up together. And we grew up Mo together. Uh, not always, but at the end of the day, most founders here, you know, our interviews at TLVDNA, yeah, they say that founding team is, uh, is family material. I'm not talking about the founders. I'm talking about the first people that you recruit. Usually, you bring people from your history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then letting them go is, is, is hard. Yeah. All right. I think that in this particular episode, because you are the VP people and you actually joined the team in, in a stage of growth, we'll try to focus on that and get more insight out of that because uh, you were hands-on. Um, Yeah. At, at that stage. So let's try to understand the point you joined the team. Mm -hmm. um, why was that a momentum to take you in? Mm -hmm. All right. And, you know, how did you start it to work? What have you done? <laughs> I think you reach a point where you feel like the plane is about to take off. And then you really want to take notice until some important issues. One is the company becomes really international. Mm -hmm. So now you can't just have your local people work because you're, for example, having customers in other areas. You need people to be there. Mm -hmm. So now you need to, A, recruit people from outside your own country. B, you need to manage them even though they're in a different time zone. And um, C, you need, you need to make this machine work. So it's complicated enough to make it work uh, when we're one office, you know, next yeah. to each other. Mm -hmm. Think of it that when you're in, you know, I'm in Israel time zone and you're in California Remotely time. managing. Yeah. In different the US. nationalities, different countries, etc. So when I joined, those were really my first thoughts. How are we going to make this international? Mm-hmm. And also, how are we going to keep our special, unique personality, but be adaptive enough to um, grow because we were seriously growing. Um, we were bringing on serious customers. Um, you know, we had a round B. Um, we had over $50 million in the bank. We needed to prove that we're, you know, we're a serious company. So you come in. Yeah. There's growth on you know, on the table, the challenge is there. How do you attack it? How do you address it? Yeah. First of all, I think we started putting in processes in place. 
which is something I hate. <laughs> I think most people um, don't like it, but it was evident that the way we work till now, like very, I know him, I'll bring him, she knows him, you know, let's do this, this is what works. Um, we said, let's start putting in some um, proper processes so we can multiply ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we had to massively grow. And when you bring in processes, you need, you need to make sure that the people on your team, like for the people's team and other teams, are you know, up to that. So you need to do a lot of um, explaining why what worked for us until now needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and why I need to start working in a more process-oriented way. Um, in order to scale. Then you need to revise your process and make sure that it's not too rigid because you're still struggling. So you might be two years old and you might have, you know, some money in the bank and you might have some serious customers, but you haven't made it. True. And if your processes become too strict, then people are not going to work. They're going to be busy with keeping this beast alive. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of companies falling under that trap. So for a while, they were very like intuitive, doing things um, just from their brain. Not, you know, there wasn't anything written down. Things weren't um, uh, really followed up. And then, you know, someone like me comes in and says, okay, let's start putting in some processes. So then you start working for the process all the time. Yeah. So you're interviewing and then you need to, to summarize the interview and then someone else needs to read it and then they start summarizing and then you're losing candidates while you're, 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 you're feeding the beast of the process. Yeah, because it's time consuming. Very much. You're telling your salespeople, you know, there's Salesforce, there's a CRM system, make sure everything is noted. And they're like, yeah, but we want to go meet customers. <laughs> uh, we'd rather do that or... Not, not working for a CRM. Not, yeah. not work for the CRM. And then you're like a manager. What, what's more important? Them meet another customer or their meet, you know, sit and update the CRM? Dilemma, right? Dilemma. Yeah. So is there any flexibility at that area of the process? Or you find flexibility areas? That's where um, company culture comes in. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying our DNA is all about flexibility then people will be flexible. Mm-hmm. And that really boils down to thinking about what kind of company culture do I want? Is flexibility one of the main things that's, um, that's typical about us? And again, I've seen companies that don't have that flexibility. Um, and every time there needs to be a growth change, they don't, they fail because they haven't put flexibility into their conversation. Flexibility, for example, is the ability to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, I feel that I'm always being um, scrutinized for the mistakes that I make, uh, I'm either going to want to hide them or I'm going to I'm gonna really want to follow the process so no one will blame me for the mistakes I make. Mm-hmm. And that goes against flexibility. That's true. So if people feel like they can't 
make mistakes in the company, they're going to be um, necessarily they're going to be less flexible. And then all these you know all these um, things that we spoke about mm-hmm. um, are not going to work. So you you really need to understand what flexibility is first when you take it in as a value into your culture. Because you can say, yeah, we're flexible, we do this, and then we'll do that. But if uh, someone is making a mistake and you put it, you know... A hammer to his head. Yeah, so you're not really flexible. No. Flexibility is, is about, you know, again, think of a child. If you want them to develop, you need to make them, you know, you need to give them, like, the, the space to grow their own way. Because if you're going to say... This is the cast you have to live in. Mm-hmm. The child is not going to be flexible and they're not going to go to their full potential. And that's why you need to have a lot of courage as a founder to say, we're going to go down this path. We might be making a mistake. I might even see that you're making a mistake. Let's say you work for me and I see you're going to make a mistake. But just for the sake of your growth, to keep you in a flexible mindset, I'm going to let you make that mistake. So you could... Create a learning curve or yes, to learn but, out of it. And I'm going to give you the confidence mm-hmm. that you could do this. So even if you made a mistake, you're going to say, you know what? Next time I'm going to prove it to you that I can do this because I've learned and I've grown. And we don't always enable that. It's easier to say, you know what? I'll do it for you. Yeah. Especially when you're a startup, you say, you know what? Forget it. Instead of me teaching you or letting you make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And come on, let's be honest. Making a mistake when you're a startup is a very, very painful and hard thing to do. Making a mistake is letting you sell to a customer I've been coveting for so long and you screwing it. <laughs> wow, that's hard. But if I'm going to let you screw it once and you're a smart guy and I th- trust you, I'm going to hope <laughs> that next time you're going to learn and you're going to do it a lot better. Mark Zuckerberg said, you know, move fast, break things. He said it because you need, to, you need to create mistakes. Mistakes really take you, you know, sometimes you need to know what's not the right thing to actually get into the right path and understand the right direction. So if you don't mistake, you know, nobody's perfect at the end of the day. Mistakes are going to happen anyway. Even if you're like planning everything and you have this whole um, business plan perfectly written, things are not going to go the way you plan them to go. So mistakes are going to happen anyway. The question is, how do you deal with them? How resilient are you as a company? Are you as the founder and CEO, are you um, going to break every time something has not worked out? Do you come into the office and everyone sees your face and they're like, oh my God, the <laughs> catastrophe has happened. We're not going to go through this. This is impossible to overcome. Or are you going to be sad? Are you going to be devastated? Are you going to talk to your team and say, listen, guys, we really screwed up. This is very painful, but we can overcome. Resilience, I think, gives the people the um, confidence to say we things didn't go the way we wanted them to. And I'm really disappointed. You know, you have competitive people in your team. Mm-hmm. They're not going to like losing. Yeah. But they have this confidence that it's going to be okay. And we can overcome. Yes. As a team. Yes. So we spoke about flexibility. Um, 
And then we spoke about giving the people um, the space to grow. And now I'm talking about optimistic and believing that good will come out of this. Mm-hmm. So these are actually values you, you came into the company and you tried to establish. Um, or was it already there from the beginning? Unfortunately, there's no textbook on how to do it right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I just would have written the book, sold a million copies, <laughs> and retired. Um, each company is different. Um, so I could see um, parents' advisors saying to parents, do this, don't do this. And there are some tips that are right for everyone. But at the end of the day, some children need certain things and other children need other things completely. So I, I can't say that I came in, I mean, I had a lot of experience, but I can't say I came in with textbook answers. And a lot of the questions that were thrown my way, I would have said, you know, I need to learn more about the company. Mm-hmm. It's different when you're from the outside and coming in before I, I give you the right answer. And some of the things that I said in the past are not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, I've also made mistakes and I've also learned. So you took the time to explore, to investigate. Explore, Explorium, yes. Explore, explore Explorium, investigate, you know, what's in front yes. of you. And at the end of the day, you do come with like, you know, conclusions. Yes. And then you try to implement. Yes. In the company. Tell us about that process. Yeah. Well, as you see, I'm an opinionated person. So it's <laughs> not like I uh, just, uh, you know, not just a pretty face. <laughs> um, a lot of what I do is, I think, create trust. So people will want to listen to my advice. And I think that's something I say to managers all across the company. If you create trust, a lot of the other things are going to, you know, going to come in anyway. It's like what Stephen Covey wrote in, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He speaks about the bank you, you create with, with colleagues. And if you put in a lot of money into that bank, you're going to be able to withdraw. So if I invested in the relationship and then I come into you and say, listen, I think you're making a mistake. You're going to have enough money in your account to trust what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Let's try to do this in another way. But if you feel deprived, okay, if you're hungry, your bank account is empty I'm going to come in with all these advices and you're going to say, listen, lady, I'm struggling here. Don't give me advice. <laughs> I like the metaphor with the bank, with the bank and empty. And <laughs> yeah, it's not my metaphor, actually. It's, it's, it talks a lot about working with people in the company and investing in the relationship. So later on, when you need to withdraw, they'll be generous. You know, when, you're, when you have more money in the bank, you could be, you know, and I come to you as a friend and I say, listen, I need a loan. You're going to, you know, maybe it's not ideal, but you're going to say, you know what? I'll give you the loan. Yeah. But if your bank account is on zero. So you cannot. You cannot. And maybe you can. I mean, you can take a loan. You can say, you know what? I'll give you the loan. But you're not going to really want to do that. Yeah. And it's, and it's not optimal. Yeah. For both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to invest in the relationship all the time. 
So when I need you or when you need me, we can we can rely on each other. And this is something that you invested in when you came into the company and you built it in, in as as a company culture, the trust layer, the the, the trust bank. <laughs> What I did, I think, one of the things that I did, um, and again, I also made a lot of mistakes, but I think one of the things that I did was I was very hands-on. And I saw where people needed help and I said, I'll do it. I'll help you. So that was my way of saying, I'm investing in this, in this account. Because mm -hmm. you're, in, you're in trouble now, I'll help you. Even if it's something, you know, I haven't done in like 10 years and I'm actually overqualified to do, mm -hmm. I'll help you because this is my way of creating trust. And once you saw, and this, this is very important between colleagues, once you see that your colleague is willing to help you when you need it, then tomorrow you'll be willing to help them. And that creates a very empowering um, relationship in a company. So you came in in a stage of growth and you needed to recruit people. Mm -hmm. So what was your strategy or policy um, in that? And what kind of tips can we give entrepreneurs uh, while they need to grow and recruit a lot of people and sometimes, you know, layoffs and, and, and tell other people that they need to go? Mm -hmm. First of all, when I came in, recruiting was going on very uh, massively before I came and it was done very, very well. So I didn't feel I needed to intervene in, in, in that, but I felt um, we needed to make sure that we always ask ourselves, who are the right people we need for now? And there is this um, process of interviewing people that you have this something in your head and you continue having that in your head even though the company has changed. Um, I, I, see, I, I spoke to a lot of managers who are recruiters And I said, what are the questions that you're asking, what you've asked so far, and you've been very successful with? And they told me the set of questions. Then I said, are these the right set of questions for the stage we are now? So what I advise people who are recruiting, always go back to the questions you're asking, the job profiles. Every, let's say, six months, ask yourself, is this the right profile relevant for March 2021? Because it was definitely relevant in August 20, but a lot has changed in six months. Mm -hmm. So you need to ask yourself different types of questions. You need to look for different types of people. If I recruited you to be number two on my team, you came into a certain world, okay? If you're child number one in the family, you come into a certain family, right? There's mommy, daddy, or mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, or just one, whatever combination, but you're number one. When your sister came in, she was already number two, right? So it's a whole different company. It's a whole different family. If you're going to ask the sister the same job profile, it's not going to work. I promise you. All right. And do you have any tips about the process? I know I've spoken with a lot of founders that they usually tell me that they have so much hard time um, picking the finalists. Uh, you always mm. get up to the top three and then there's a, you know, so hard time to make a decision about, yeah. you know, out of these three and they're all very good. That's a good stage. <laughs> they're all very good. <laughs> the problem is how do I choose one from three very mediocre people? <laughs> That's, I think sometimes we don't think about the price we pay for not making a decision. 
So we'd say, okay, let's continue looking. They're all not great. Um, let's not make a decision and continue interviewing. I, I hear that a lot. I sometimes say, I'd rather you make a decision, bring someone on board right now, if you have the capacity to teach them. Okay, so you're not 100%, you're only 70%, and I was imagining Prince Charming, but I'd rather have you come in and me um, invest time in your growth, and hopefully from that 70%, you'll grow into 90, then wait another two months, lose two months, and then you know what happens? We compromise on candidate number four, who is 60%, because mm -hmm. now we really must have someone. And I see that happening all the time. We wait for Prince Charming, time becomes crucial, and then we hire just the first person who comes in, which is even worse because we lost two months and you're not as good as I want. And you're still compromising. Yeah, so make, make hard decisions and be tough. Like say, you know what, I heard, I, I'm going to make a decision today. If decision we're talking about, like I told you, at the end of the day, I hear a lot of founders say, you know, these are the top two out of the interviews. One is a bit, you know, more qualified and has, uh, I don't know, a better resume, but she's not in our culture. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is maybe uh, compromising on skills a bit, a bit, but she fits the culture better. Yes. And, and they have hard time because yes. they want a better man, but they, they're scared of, you know, not syncing with yeah. the culture. Usually they want the better man and not the better woman, but that's another problem. <laughs> no, it's a, a we woman can or talk a man. about, yeah. 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 If you created a culture that's so powerful that you believe that anyone that will come in will find the way to adapt, then I would go with the person who has the right skill set and will teach him our culture. Mm -hmm. But you need to invest a lot of time in that culture. It has to be like the sun that whoever comes in gets heated from the sun. Um, and a lot of companies don't have that, or they lose, they lose sight of what's our sun, what's our X factor that makes us unique, that anyone that will come in will become like us. Gotcha. We're still talking about people. So I wanna bring in the buzzword of diversity but it's not only a buzzword it's something that is very important but i think sometimes people just treat it as a buzzword and mm -hmm. use it and you know they're not using it properly yes. maybe you can you know give the values of diversity to people that are recruiting in their mm -hmm. stage of growth and it's not always about the growth stage you know at mm -hmm. early stages and if you got funded you're still you know recruiting people uh for a small team mm -hmm. what does diversity brings in what values does it actually you know giving your company i've been talking about diversity for many many years very boring subject because people can't hear it anymore from me but thank god research has shown in the last few years with no doubt that the more diverse your team is the more successful you're going to be forget i want people from other areas blah blah you know all that politically correct things if you're going to have a diverse team, you're going to be more successful. Why? Because challenges constantly change. The world constantly changes. And if we're all think thinking the same way, because we're all cut and paste, mm -hmm. we all are the same. We all came from the same unit in the army. 
We all grew up in the same home. When the problem says, when the problem evolves, what's going to happen? We're all going to bring in the same solution because we, this, is, this is our school. We all went to the same school. Same mindset, yeah. Same mindset. But if someone comes in and says, hey, guys, you know, this is not the way to look at things. And they're going to say, oh, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a woman. <laughs> you need to diversify in order to be able to deal with constantly changing things. And in order to have a creative mindset, you need people from different aspects. And it's hard to recruit um, diversified force. You know why? Because when I meet someone who's different than me, you know what happens first? I don't like them. Yeah. If you look different than me, I'm not going to like you. It's, an, it's something in our brains, you know. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into it, but there's part of our brain that says, first of all, be suspicious of someone who's different. And when I start interviewing you and you're different than me, my first automatic response, without even being aware of it, is I'm going to have biases against you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make all these biases, and then I'm going to say, I really wanted to diversify, but I can't hire this person. No way. He's really not fitting. And I hear managers telling me, Iris, I really, really tried, but I just can't have him on my team. He doesn't fit. So the tip I give them is try to prove yourself wrong. This is a scientific trick, actually. When you're doing a research, you should try to prove that your theory is wrong. Only if you really, really tried and again and again you've learned that it's not wrong, then you could say, um, I've proven my theory. So if let's say I interview you and I don't like you because let's say you talk slowly. Okay, <laughs> I'm a fast talker. You talk slowly. And I'm like, oh, by the time he finishes his sentence, I don't like, you know, I can't have this guy. I need, I need like someone who works fast. You mm -hmm, know, my mm -hmm. startup is... I'm going to say to you, you know, you really talk slowly. I'm sure you've heard this in the past. But how fast do you think you are, you know, in solving problems? And then you could say to me, and I've heard this so many times, surprising answers. Like, you know, I think really slowly. It takes me time to understand what I really want. But once I figure it out, I'm as fast. I'm the fastest worker you'll ever see. This and is I'll ask very you to, creative thinking, really. I'll ask you to give me an example because, you know, you could have said it, but mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're bullshitting me. But mm -hmm. so you, I say, okay, really? So, so give me an example. And you give me an example. And I'm like, wow, you've opened my eyes. So you're a slow thinker, slow talker. But actually, when it comes to delivery, you're very, very fast. And I gave you that opportunity. So this was a simple answer. Mm -hmm, uh, simple, mm -hmm. simple. I, I gave a simple example. Yeah. But in, 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 in bigger things... Um, it could really be enlightening to interview people and say, I'm going to ask you questions against my judgment. Interesting. I've, I've interviewed the biggest geeks, really. People I said have zero charisma. And I've asked to them at the end, tell me something surprising about yourself. I like that question. And they say to me, hmm, you know, I've climbed the Everest twice. <laughs> I'm like, really? You? It seems like you've never seen the sun. And they're like, yeah, I'm actually a professional climber at, you know, when I was 20. 
And then they tell me all these stories about themselves and I'm like, wow, this, I, I see you in a whole different light. It's twisting. It's twisting. People really give, you know, people tell me I'm a bungee jumper. <laughs> <laughs> Things like you would never expect. Great thinking. I want to take you as a VP people to the, I think, uh, most challenging point in growth is recruiting people and, you know, having the right people on board. Tell us about the pains and challenges of that process and how you creatively solve them or not creatively. <laughs> Create a good name for yourself as a company. That's an easy tip to say, hard to keep. That means that when people will hear the company's name, they'll say things like, wow, I heard that's a nice place to work for, or that's a good company. Because people make decisions on coming to your company or not, not because of the salary or because of the position, They're going to want to come into a company that they heard really good things about, about the managers. So you want to make sure that you have the right culture, that people will want to come and work for you. And again, it's easier said than done, yeah. but it's something that needs to be constantly in your focus. When I'm interviewing you, am I respecting you? Am I on time? Am I friendly? Am I making you feel good about yourself? So when you leave here, even if you didn't get the job, are you going to say, you know, I didn't get the job. I hate Iris, but I, I think Explorium is a very interesting place to work for. And I wish I would have, you know, I could have been working for them. And if my friend asks me, I'm going to tell them, go and try to, you know, Iris is a tough interviewer, but go and try, you know, and work there because I was really impressed with the company. So make a good name for yourself. That This helps is, during the process. Very much, mm -hmm. very much. I see so many candidates telling me, I'm not going to even going to interview for that company. I heard that the founders are really, really, really um, not people. I, I don't respect their values. You know, it's, like you said, it's, it's, it's nice to say or easy to say and hard to keep. So what does that mean? You know, how do you create, all right? How do you, how do you create a brand awareness like that When you say people that are coming for job interviews, they know, they know us, they know about us, they feel good about us, they want to be part of us. You know, this is something that everybody would like to have on board. But um, how do you create it? First of all, you put a lot of your efforts and thoughts into it. How do you create a nice home? How do you create the home that people, your friends will say, I want to come to your house. Your house is cool. Your house is nice. Or... How do you create the home where people say, thank you for inviting me, but, you know, I can't make it tonight. <laughs> you know, my first, one of my first memories of Explorium, like I said, I was a consultant for a very long time, and they used to come into my office. And one day they said, you know, you need to come. This is before I even became an employee. They said, you need to come into our office because we already have now an office. Before that, they didn't really have like a real decent office. Come in, you know, meet the people we were talking about so you'll know better. And I come into the office and I'm just this random person. And people are constantly coming in at this point because Explorium was really growing. So, you know, there was interviews all the time. And I remember walking in the door and people were standing in the kitchen talking, a few employees. 
And they turn around, they look at me and they say, hi, how are you? What's your name? Who are you looking for? What do you need? And, you know, I was really under pressure because you come into a new place and you want to, you know, you know what, you want to prove yourself. And they were like smiling and they were like really being helpful. And I said, wow, this is a good place. So how do you make sure that people in the kitchen are friendly? <laughs> how do you make sure they're open to guests? How? How? How do you create that culture? How, how, so, do, you, how do you create that? How do you create your kids being friendly? How, how do you do that? That's, that's the culture at home. You, you, you give them love. You give them confidence. If they make mistakes, you don't scream at them. So if they came in from a meeting five minutes earlier... And the founder was screaming at them, telling them, you, you guys are useless. You, you screwed this deal. Now we're all going to lose our jobs. I'm not going to come in and they're not going to smile at me, right? They're not going to say, hi, welcome. They're going to say, go look for another job. Gotcha. So we got that great platform of, uh, of a great brand that, that people wants to be part of. And then you recruit. You know, many interviews, how many interviews, how do you get to interviews? I mean, how do you recruit to get interviews? You want to, I don't know, recruit 25 people, you talk to 100 people. How do you bring those 100 people? A million questions. What's look, the funnel? Look, one of the things that we did, and there is a downside to it, but it definitely worked, is we encouraged people to bring in their friends. So the upside to that is that we knew that you're a good employee and I like you. You're going to bring your friend. Hopefully that makes it uh, the chances that your friend is also nice like you because you guys are friends. Um, that, that's going to be successful. What's the downside to that? That there's no diversity because your friends are just like you. <laughs> so I think you need to, when you're growing, when you're slow, smaller, you need to bring in friends of friends because that, um, expands the chances of the company being like with people that the type of people that I want in my company. And then at a certain point, you need to start saying, okay, friends are good. I still want friends, but now I want people who you've never seen in your life before. That's when we started reaching out to different organizations who help like minority groups mm -hmm. and said, bring in, you know, uh, like minorities because we want to diversify. Diversify in, in, in many aspects? Many aspects. Uh, you name it. We, we, we we're trying to diversify. Different nationalities, different, um, um, you know, gender, um, dif different backgrounds, um, different languages. You know... You tell the story and it always sounds, you know, that you, the challenges or what you're facing, but always very optimistic and, and you know, that's, that's your vibe. And I want to hear about the pains. <laughs> I want to, you know, really, I want you to give us some example of challenges. Did you know it was hard time for you to sleep during that um, process? But at the end of the day, you succeeded and, and, and give us some tips of how. It's mainly challenges. <laughs> the <laughs> fact that I'm smiling do doesn't, you know. One of the things I spoke earlier was about letting people go at a stage where you've changed. 
And those are the things that kept me up at night because um, we're all friends. We all like talking to each other. And then one day I come up to you and I say, thank you for your services. We're going to have to let you go. What are all the friends around you? How are they going to look at me in the morning and say, oh, thank you, Iris, for taking our friend who's worked so hard and brought us so far. And now you fired him. You let him go. That's a hard moment. Yeah. Very hard. Mo- it's not a hard moment. It's a hard month because <laughs> they're not going to forget it. How are they going to trust me if I took their friend and I fired them if they don't really understand why? And what I do in order to ma- overcome that challenge, because it's, it's a hard one, is to try to make sure that if I let you go, you really understand why that happened. Not today, two months ago and a month ago. So I went through a process with you where you started hearing from me. Listen, you're not doing things the right way. Try to do it differently or, I don't know, find some other way of doing it because this is not working. Mm-hmm. And then I say to you again in a month from now. And I say two weeks. And then when I call you in and I say, we're going to have to part ways, you're not like, I'm like, I mean, you're going to be shocked anyway because it's <laughs> traumatic, but you saw it coming. And hopefully your friends on know your team... Know about it. I don't know if they know about it, but they saw it coming. Because if you're not doing your job, they have to do their job double. And if I'm letting you stay, maybe I'm doing them a favor because they like you, but maybe I'm actually not doing them a favor because I'm not letting them grow and I'm not letting them do their job because you're slacking and you're not doing your job properly. I want to relate to what you just said about uh, other people are doing a double job, right? And that's something, you know, a lot of startups, uh, especially at early stage, they bring in people and you'll do this, but you'll do this and you have two legs or, um, you know, we're doing everything Everybody's doing a lot of things and, you know, merging titles. You're the manager of this and the director of this and this. Um, what is your point of view on that? And what are the tips you can give to founders and entrepreneurs at early stage? My tip is that no child is like another child. Some employees really, really thrive with having two different job titles and switch you know, switch tasking between two different things. And they're really happy about it. Some employees, you lose them. If you don't tell them this is your specific role and this is what you need to do and these are your borders and this is how you work, they're not going to be able to make it. So you can't make rules. You can make a rule about you and then you need to make a different rule about another employee. That's flexibility. That's saying some of my team is going to have three different roles And I'm going to let them just run because they're very, very, you know, uh, they, can, they can adapt. But some employees really need a very rigid, strict, process-oriented um, manager in order to thrive. How do you clarify that? How do you actually understand that this guy could do this and this and the other guy needs, a, you know, needs to focus really good? I'll give you a secret tip and, and then soon we have to end. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a secret tip. 
All right, that's going to be part of uh, of a final three tips that you're going to get. Okay. Oh, so I'm counting it. I'm he's counting this as, as one. No, this is this is something we do every okay. Every, every final show. three okay. tips. So right. so this is my tip. If you're a manager, um, sit and think about each of your employees and create like this profile about them. And this needs to be a very specific document about what they really need. Okay, this is not me as a manager. This is me as your manager. And when I create this profile, I need to understand what are the things you need in order to thrive. So again, I'm bringing it to the children's analog because I really think I really identify with <laughs> that. Um, one child needs to know that at 7.30, they must go to sleep. And every day you tell them it's 7.30, you must go to sleep. Another child, you need to give them the freedom to say, you know what, I trust you. You go to sleep whenever you want, but I'm not going to wake you up in the morning. You need, you know, you need to be independent. So you wake up whenever you want, and I'm not going to tell you when to, go to, when to go to sleep. So if you change the rules between the kids, it's going to be horrible, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure your, your managing style is fitting for every employee, and every employee is very, very different. First tip. First tip. Tip number two is remember that it's a marathon. We tend to make decisions on, um, on sprints, especially when we're younger. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we lose sight of the North Star. We lose sight that we have to run now another 20K. So when you're making very difficult decisions, try to also think about them in the long run. You'll, you know, the implications are, are huge when you grow. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. Third. Tip number three. Treat your employees the way you'd want to be treated. So I always say, don't have double standards. Think of yourself when you're making a decision. Think of how you'd want to be treated in this situation. For example, if I'm letting you go, You need to make sure that you got enough heads up to know that, you know, I'm not happy with you because this is the way I'd want to be treated. If somebody's going to let me go, I want to make sure that it doesn't land on me one day that I got enough time to prepare emotionally and maybe look for another job, things like that. So it's not ideal for the company because you don't want employees looking for other jobs. But I think it's the fair thing to do. And that's how we should treat our employees. Like we want to be treated. Yes. All right. Thanks for these great three tips. And Iris, it was great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to all our audience out there, thank you for, you know, watching us, the TLV DNA. You can listen to all our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and watch this episode on YouTube. Thanks. Thank you very much, guys. And we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you.